Hello, patrons, and welcome to the patron special for December 2017. Merry Hanukkah. Happy holidays. Because I didn't vote for Trump, so I still say happy holidays. Um, <laughs> so actually, we're going to also release this uh, in a couple of weeks as a special present to all of our loyal listeners. So patrons, don't get upset that people are getting access to this episode for free. That will not be a normal thing. Uh, I know that some podcasts will release their special episodes after a certain period of time to everybody. We will never do that, primarily because I'm incredibly lazy and don't want to bother doing it. Uh, We're not most podcasts, as you well know by now. (laughs) That is right. All right, so Uh, today on this episode of Voyager, all right, so Janeway, we start with Janeway on the bridge of the Enterprise, and she's talking to Tuvok, and Tuvok is like, I'm really worried about this thing. That's true. And Harry Kim is like, hello, Captain Janeway. You like to have tea with me? I really like you. You're swell. That's our impression of other podcasts. That's that's our impression of the Voyager crew. Uh, Tune in next month when we do a few more characters. (laughs) Oh, my God. That could be our next patron special is just like we'll improvise an episode. Okay. Here's what we're going to do. All right. Uh, you're going to write Star, Star, Star Wars. Good Lord. Star Trek Voyager fanfic. <laughs> and then we'll act it out. Okay. We're never doing this. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, this month, uh, we are going to be doing something kind of cool. This is why I'm releasing it in a couple weeks for everyone as a special Hanukkah, Christmas, Kwanzaa, holiday extravaganza episode. Uh, as a special present to everybody. We are going to be answering a bunch of listener questions that we solicited over the past uh, month or so. And uh, we've got a lot of good questions here. So I think we'll just get right into it, not to waste any time at all. We want to fit as many questions as possible in. So Richard, I'll let you pick the first question. Oh my God. Okay, this is nothing special. I just have an answer for it already. Um. Jim McGiven from Facebook asks, In Star Trek Voyager, why do you think there was a Federation penal colony in New Zealand, the most beautiful place on Earth, instead of somewhere more fitting like Siberia or Mar-a-Lago? I'm glad you picked this question because I am very excited to answer it. Oh, you then you answer it because I have answers too. Okay, so uh, I think that they did this because Southern California looks a lot like New Zealand. There you go. Ah, See, my thing is I figured, you know, the best punishment that they could give somebody is just they put you on the Lord of the Rings tour over and over and over again, and they tell you everything about what the hobbits did in this place. And, you know, here's where the hobbits walked to one place, and here's where an elf was an elf, and here's where, you know, we had some orcs and they did things. And you just, you know, you you wake up in the morning and they trudge you around showing locations and... You know, that's your life. And, you know, it would deter crime. I I think that that's very true. And I think that uh, the Federation should probably have their penal colony in Universal Studios. <laughs> they do not. But maybe in the future they will. Um, I, I mean, I'm being a little, you know, obviously I'm being a little yeah. funny because Southern California, they filmed it in Southern California. They can't make Southern California look like Siberia very easily or cheaply. But I think that it goes along with the Federation's policy hmm. of, of, you know, not punishing people uh, overtly, cruel and unusual punishment, to use the term that Americans use. Makes sense to me. I think New Zealand's a fine place. It's yeah. pleasant. 
The weather is nice. In its uh, way, it, it makes me think of like, you know, how they have the old timey seaside resorts for like people who are sick. Well, yeah, they would view crime as in a way an illness or a something that, you know, it's not a I don't think the Federation has really punitive prisons the way that, you know, we do now. I think they're more faced more based around redemption and rehabilitation. And, you know, it makes more sense for that to be in a beautiful place. I think that's very true. All right, let's move on to another question. Mr. Penske West Teasdale of the Penske File Podcast asks, what's your podcast process? When do you watch episodes? How long before recording do you watch and discuss podcasts before you start recording? Now, uh, Wes, that's like four questions. So A, you broke the rules. Uh, but B, um, I'll, I'll, I guess I'll answer this question first because I, I think that we both have a, a, a similar and different process for this podcast. So obviously I have seen most of what we've watched before, so I don't feel that I need to rewatch episodes again or anything like that. Um, In general, I watch them when I have time. So right now we're on sort of a Thursday, Friday recording schedule. So I will watch in the evening one episode on Monday through Thursday. I don't generally worry about watching it like right before I record or anything like that. And I take episodes as I watch the ep- I take I take notes as I watch the episodes, um, just to kind of like more more as an exercise to fire off some neurons in my brain than anything else. I don't really use the notes while I re- while we record or anything like that. Um, and we definitely don't discuss that. That is like the cardinal rule of all of mm-hmm. our podcasts that we do not discuss what we are going to talk about before we actually sit down to record. I don't think that we've ever broken that rule, to my knowledge. Very slightly. Like, sometimes we'll talk about, uh, you know, if we are talking a couple days beforehand about something, I'll say, oh, I just watched this, you know, episode. Oh, and, yeah, we'll talk very briefly. But for the most part, we're not, like, rehearsing or we don't do any outlining or anything like that. Um, Nope. I I mean, I I, I do some editing. I mean, you didn't ask this question, but, we'll, you know, I'll just say, you know, I, I, I do cut out things that don't go anywhere. Um, I don't do a heavy amount of editing on this podcast. I generally think that at this point we've been doing this for a number of years and, uh, you know, I don't need to cut out a ton, but there are little bits and things like that that I cut out that don't go anywhere. I cut out, um, you know, noises. I'll cut out ums sometimes if I can, you know, things like that. I mean, you usually probably cut out maybe 10% of what we record, which I think is probably fair. Yeah. Um, I I only watch the episodes uh, once. Someone else asked how many times, especially I watched them. Um, There have been a couple episodes I've watched twice. Um, Drumhead was definitely one of them just because I loved that episode when I saw it. And, Mm. you know, it is a relatively complicated episode and I did want to make sure that, you know, I had the what was going on. I mean, the fact that the episode essentially revolves around nothing uh, being trumped up into, you know, this massive conspiracy um, was not something that I quite got the first time around. But for the most part, I do just watch it once and make a lot of notes. I actually will um, sometimes uh, rehearse by myself little bits, that points that I want to make, or I will sometimes 
write down occasionally I'll write down like a joke that I want to make or or you know a, a specific point that I want to do but for the most part we are this just is kind interesting of... information to me I did not know any of this by the way no yeah I uh there was one that I it's interesting because like in general I I think that the division of work on the podcast is pretty interesting because when I first ta- we just to go back into a little bit of history um some of you may know that that we did a podcast a long time ago um, almost 10 years ago at this point, actually, oh God, yeah. uh, about video games. And that was my first podcast that I ever did. And that was Richard's first podcast that he ever did. And, you know, I've done a lot of other podcasts, both with Richard and without over the years. And, you know, one of the things that I, I, I said to Richard initially to convince him to do Trek about all the way back in, in the year of our Lord 2012, uh, back when Obama was still president. Um, God, remember that this was so good. <laughs> I have a funny uh, story to say about that, but you know, let, let, let's. I'll, I'll tell that after you know this. Yeah. But but, but what are, one of the things that I said to Richard to convince him to to do Trek about with me because you know on the face of it it was a ridiculous idea that you know we had stopped doing podcasting together and what we were going to do instead was like watch all of Star Trek. To, you know that's it's it's, it's insane. Um, that I told him basically, like, I didn't expect him to do any work except to watch the episodes and to show up and record. And that's been mostly the case. I mean, here and there, you know, I've asked him to do certain things, but not a lot of other, not a lot of extracurriculars. You know, I do a lot of the, uh, you know, a lot of the sort of like, I guess, administrative tasks of, of the podcast. So I maintain the website. I do all the editing. I, you know, schedule all the tweets. I mean, stuff like that. I'm, I'm responsible for making sure the bills get paid. Um, things of that nature. But Richard obviously does more work than I do to get <laughs> ready to record because I do absolutely nothing to get ready to record except literally watch the episodes, take notes, and then sit down and, and record. I don't, I don't do any sort of like jokes. I don't write down points I want to make. I don't do any of that stuff. Well, I figured you're the producer. I'm the talent, so. That is true. <laughs> um, I am apparently in the power chair. Yeah, no. Did, you, you, did you Eric, know that? That's actually a radio term. I didn't know this. Really? What does that mean? It's the chair it, it means it's the person. I'm plugged in. Yes, I'm. I'm. I'm very, very powerful. Uh, no, it's the. Per- I have 2,500 watts so running through me right now. No, uh, it, it's the person on a radio show that that directs the conversation and decides what topics are going to be talked about and how long they're going to be talked about. Oh yeah, I know you definitely do that. I mean, this is in many ways Eric's show, and I just kind of show up. Uh, but I, I cut you off anyway. Continue with what you were saying. <laughs> no, uh, just the funny story about you know this being 2012 is that so I, I am right now staying at my parents' house for you know a couple months till I move on and you know so I am on all the gay move, move on is not a euphemism for die by the way I just want to make that clear. Well, you know, if I stay in Jersey, I will move on in a euphemistic way. But um, so, you know, I'm on the gay apps and, you know, somebody messaged me saying, oh, you know, did you record your podcast? Did you ever record your podcast? So I'm thinking, I'm like, yeah, I fucking record it every week. And then I um look and it was somebody that I messaged five years ago, had messaged me five years ago and I hadn't talked to in between. And I was looking at the conversation and it was just like, yeah, I'm starting a podcast with my friend, you know, we're going to do Star Trek. And, you know, we've re- we're what? recording, we're recording our first couple episodes to have a little buffer. So I'm just like, 
You know, it's really funny because I'm like, oh my god, it's become like such a thing in the past five years. Like it's been, this, it's become very massive. So, and he's just thinking, oh, I wonder whatever happened to that thing. Oh my god, that's <laughs> hilarious. I yeah. know, like that was, but but before then, I never really had like, you know, yes, I know I've been doing this for so long, but like to actually see like a message from like. August of 2012 was just like, oh my God, we have been doing this forever. I know. And that's the thing. Your life just is an uncontinuous or a continuous, you know, uninterrupted flow of time. And you never think about Mm. what you were like five years ago and what was going on. And, and, you know, it is what it is. All right. You want to pick another question, Richard? Yes. And um, actually, this is one that is tying to this. And let me find it. Um, Barry Wallace from Patreon says, we know Eric is a Trekkie, but how about Richard? After watching so many episodes, can you call yourself one of us? And what are your thoughts on your franchise as a whole? So, no, I am not a Trekkie. I am a Trekker. (laughs) Um, Whoa, blast in the past. That was a very, (laughs) very hot topic of conversation in Star Trek circles in the 1990s, my friend. (laughs) Um, I don't, it's really funny, though, to talk to people and be, I don't really like, talk to people about the podcast in real life because like at work i don't really talk to people because i don't, I don't like either, my job yeah. but um well you work from home so uh i talk to hank i talk to my dog <laughs> guess what hank what i'm a star trek podcast i am hungry um <laughs> yeah like i don't know i guess in a way i i I don't think of myself as a Trekkie in the way, but when then I then when I say like, oh yeah, I've been running a Star Trek podcast for five years, like that's the part that really hits me. Like I have watched what is it, original series, animated series, TNG, DS9, ha- almost half of Voyager, like four and a half series, and a bunch of movies. Like I have really all I have is half of Voyager what's left of discovery and enterprise a couple of movies like there is much 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 more stuff that i've watched than i haven't i know this franchise very well i know this well i I mean i'll put it to you this way i mean the the bulk of star trek is behind you at this yeah and that's really weird to think about though um like in some ways you know part of the reason i keep saying like five years is because it feels like I don't know. In some ways, I still do feel like a newbie about it. I don't feel I feel like, you know, for me to go up to, you know, real Trekkies and say, I'm a Trekkie, you know, seems like, you know, well, no, you're not one. uh, I actually read this uh, piece today about gatekeeping and, you know, and relate in Star Trek fandom relating specifically to Discovery and how um, a lot of people who are fans of discovery you know other people will say well you're not a real star trek fan if you like discovery and you know that's mm-hmm. some bullshit that we covered a little bit about on our um i mean i haven't found the you know granted i don't really interact with the fandom i would say mm-hmm. um mostly i will interact with you know people who listen to our podcast and obviously you know, you folks listening are have made me feel very welcome and all of that. You're not going to, you know, if, if you don't think I'm one of you, you're not going to, you know, listen to this, you know, so whatever. But I don't know. It feels we. I, I haven't been to any conventions. I don't really I have to, I only have a couple of Star Trek toys and Eric bought all of them for me. I have a, uh, a little Dax that doll and a data bobblehead and I and um 
a stuffed uh, Tribble Eater from the animated series. Deep uh, cut. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 I mean, that's about it. So, I mean, there's certainly further I can go, but... Well... I guess I feel like I am still... I feel like I'm still in school a little bit, right? Like, I, I, I don't think it'll be until I finish the podcast that I feel that I'll be able to do stuff on my own. Because that's the other thing. I don't seek out Trek stuff on my own or, you know, watch it too much on my own because, you know, I have this very specific program that I have that I'm following. Um, <laughs> you're, you're on the Star Trek 12-step program. No, I, I think that's right. I mean, you know, I, I made a, a, a little bit of a, a joke about at the end of DS9 saying, oh, Richard's a Trekkie now. And, you know, I, I, to some degree I was joking and some to some degree I wasn't. I think that, you know, Star, Star Trek is obviously important to Richard. I think that, that he enjoys it. I think he understands it. I think that he has a good, you know, base of knowledge about it. Um, so, so of all the sort of like, har, har, you know, the hallmarks of being a Trekkie, I think he has some of them. I think that what what it really is going to come down to is if when we're done with Trek about in I don't know 2045 or whatever the hell it's going to be <laughs> um you know will will you will you seek it out on your own will you go to Star Trek and just watch random episodes of the next generation or something you know will you read novels will you follow the news about it I mean all those kind of things I mean you know Star Trek has been such a big part of my life for so long that and I have come in and out of it of course I mean I was very into it when I was in high school in the 90s and then I sort of fell out of it a little bit when I was in college and that although I still watched Enterprise and then I sort of fell out of it for for a couple of years but you know and it wasn't really until I think probably the Abrams movies again that I really got into it but I never went away from it entirely and now it's like a huge part of my life again and I really enjoy it uh but I think that's really going to be the test for for you I think as if it, it will it will you know transition over from from being a not a job but i know what, what you mean whatever this is to to being something that you go to and seek out on your own well i will say when we're done when we compl- when we watch the final episode of enterprise i'm getting a tattoo so um you know to commemorate okay. that but all right well i'll, I'll make a note of that <laughs> All right, I think we'll move on to another question now. Uh, Let's do this one. This is from Penny Wilhelm from Facebook, and uh, she says, I know you're only partway through Voyager and haven't watched Enterprise yet, but so far, which character do you most personally relate to? Is there a main or recurring character that makes decisions or has personal struggles that feel similar to your own? Um, Not really, actually. I don't think so. I I don't know. I don't relate to fictional characters that much hmm. in general. Um, I think that maybe the closest I could ever get to would be like a character from DS9, like O'Brien or someone like that. But aside from that, no, not really. Uh, my New York answer is Kira, actually. Um she is somebody who uh in her youth was full of piss and vinegar and got to fight everybody and you know now she's at a point where she is growing up and has to do things in a more adult way and 
you know, her anger is now becoming a liability instead of something that, you know, helps her. And I don't know, that's kind of where I am in my life. I am a very, believe it or not, I'm a very angry person. I am full of just rage. I get pissed off at a lot of things. My anger controls me a lot of times. And, you know, again, I'm getting to a point in my life where that's not great. That's not a good way to be. And, you know, I need to, I struggle a lot at, you know, having to put on the grown-up pants and stuff like that. So I guess my, again, just knee-jerk answer is to say Kira. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. I mean, that's a that's a that's a, a good way to put that. Um, and I guess you know, I'll say too that that kind of jokingly, uh, Garrick, just because you know he's <laughs> extremely queer, and I'm I'm queer, so there you go. Um, all right, uh, pick a question, Richard. I'm gonna do Holly McLaughlin's. We love Holly. Uh, Holly. Oh, Holly's great. Hi, Holly. Uh, Holly asks, are either of you dads ever going to be dads? I'd often thought you'd make great ones. And in my case, I don't think you know me at all. I am. (laughs) (laughs) So I actually really do not like kids. I get very, uh, uncomfortable around children. I, you know, I don't like when people bring children in public because I don't know why, but, um, I've worked so many customer service type jobs in which I see a child that means that child is going to destroy something that I have to clean up. And so that's kind of my my thought around that. I think I would make a good uncle. You know, I would like to be able to have a kid I could spoil and just like, you know, be the fun one, you know, and stuff like that, but not really have any actual responsibilities towards, but being an only child, this will never happen to me. I mean, and that's part of the reason I am not good with kids because I there were never any kids in my family. Yeah, yeah. I I think for me, uh, the answer would would be a no. Um, I I like kids well enough. I, I'm certainly not someone who uh, I don't dislike them. I don't really have much. I mean, like if I see a baby, I'll smile at it. Um, I think that being a parent is extraordinarily hard, and I am. You know, I, you know, I, I understand that being a parent is extraordinarily hard and that I am very sympathetic to parents that are obviously struggling with children because children are not logical and that you cannot reason with them and that when children have meltdowns, it is not really uh, any, there's not really anything you can do about it. Um, I remember a very clear time when I was flying somewhere and I was sitting in the, the um, window seat, which is very unusual for me because I, I generally like to sit in the aisle because yeah. I'm six one and I have long legs on top of that. And it's very I like uncom- to sit in the aisle though I'm short because I like to get up to pee. Yeah. I mean I don't like to yeah, I think I'm similar to that too. Like I don't <laughs> like to feel trapped, you know, like if you need to get up for some reason. But I was sitting in the window for some reason and uh, a woman sat next to me and she had like a like one and a half year old or something with her two year old maybe and you know, he was fine, like he didn't cry or anything and, and I just was kind of like well, this is happening, so I'm not really going to freak out about it. And I like gave him a spoon to play with, and I like made faces at him, and you know stuff like that. The whole, I mean, it was a long flight; it was like four hours or something. I, I'm and, so scared I just, if I make a face at a kid that I'm immediately going to get arrested. By the way, oh, like, how not, do you do you're not, that? You're not going to get arrested. No <laughs> one's going to care. But um, and so, and at the end of the flight, you know, it was so weird because she turned to me and she said to me. Um, I'm paraphrasing because I don't remember exactly what she said to me, but but she said, you know, I I just want to thank you for being understanding. You know, a lot of people aren't, and um, you know, you were really great with him. And I was like, oh, I don't really think I did anything, but thanks. I mean, you know, I didn't hold him, I didn't like change his diaper, you know. 
it is just something to me that like comes, I guess, somewhat unnaturally because I, I Jeff, like, like Richard, I mean, when I was younger, I was very much annoyed by children and, um, but I kind of, as I've gotten older, I've, I've calmed down about it and I don't think myself, I will ever have my own children. Uh, I'm not really, I don't really care necessarily. Like I'm not upset about it. Um, it's a lot of work and I'm selfish. And so I don't know that I really want to put in the time. I like to be able to lie on the couch for five hours and watch Gilmore girls. If I want to, <laughs> without having to worry about a child and I have a dog and that's enough for me. There was a time in my life when I thought I may have a child, but you know, the other part of it too is that, and I think Richard will agree with me here. Um, it's very difficult for queer people to have kids. Like it's expensive and it's not easy. You know, I can't just get my partner pregnant so not not to say that it's always easy for women to get pregnant either but um you know that that is also a thing as well like do i want a child enough to pay tens of thousands of dollars for one not really honestly part of me thinks you know that it's possible that you would end up with somebody who has a kid and be very happy with that like sure i i I personally would never date anybody with a child just because I, I know, <laughs> but, but like, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, you. I definitely have thought about that. Like I would be very open to dating a man that, that had children. Um, there we go, but you would not be. So there you go. Um, yeah. I mean, I think the other thing too is like, I mean, not, not to, you know, not to say too much about it, but I think like, I think Richard, if he or if Richard found himself in a position where he had a child, I think that he would be a fine father. I think that I would probably be a fine father as well. But there are things in my, you know, background that I am very hesitant to have a child. So <laughs> my my own biological child, that is, uh, adopting a child would be another thing. So there you go. Okay. All right. Well, I guess it's my turn to ask a question or answer to pick a question. So I will pick. Uh, I'm going to pick DSA. Uranus. That's obviously not his real name or her real name. Uh, this comes to us from Twitter, and uh, he or she or it says, "How have you not killed each other yet, J.K.? I love that quote. Old married couple unquote dynamic. Smiley face. Um, it is a finely, finely honed. No, <laughs> I think this is just our real dynamic. I don't know. I you know." It is what it is. Like, I think, you know, we've known each other almost 10 years and yeah, I think we just fell into this dynamic very quickly and it's obviously played up for the podcast. I mean, we don't generally have intense conversations like this for an audience between ourselves, but, but there have been times, I mean, our personal relationship has been has fluctuated many times over the years there was a time when you know eric and i lived together for a while just as as roommates but um where we did have you know conversations like this a lot i mean part of the reason that we this kind of talk comes naturally to this is this is i think just how we talk about things um but i think we've been really good at having a separation between the podcast and the regular life mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Like, I don't know. I don't want to say I'm acting right now or, you know, I'm putting on a persona because but this you is are. Cool. Yeah, but I am. Um, I mean, it's not and, as though you're like playing a different person, but you're playing exa- an exaggerated version yes. of yourself in the same way that I am. And I mean, I think that we're both very good about, 
you know, whatever happens in the podcast is, is men in good faith. And, and we're not, I mean, we're not mean to each other on the podcast, I don't think. And, you know, certainly that might creep through no. now and again, but you know, for the most part, I don't think we are. And I, I, and think I, I, I mean, I think both of us dislike that kind of, a, I oh really, yeah, I really fucking hate that. I mean, that was the, that's a big reason, like, I really grew to hate webcomics, for example, is that, you know, you have the the typical gamer webcomic is two friends who hate each other, you know, the that and they just spend their time slinging insults. I mean, that's a podcast dynamic. I really, really hate friendships who, where one of them is insulting to the other, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. hypercritical of the other, you know, that, I just don't find that funny. I found that really mean, spirited and nasty and... I know, I mean, we both probably, you know, we, I, I don't think we've ever quite talked about this exactly, but I think we both are, obviously are both in that, you know, same idea. Um, yeah. And, you know, certainly that's not, you know, our humor doesn't come, oh, well, you're being stupid. You know, I think, you know, we'll joke about that very rarely, but, um, you know, that's not a crux of our humor in that. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, there have been, you know, there have been times where I think we've been, upset at each other before recording and once or twice we have been like oh listen we can't record today but for the most part like you know whatever like we start recording we are recording you know yeah i mean that yeah that that's a good way to put it like certainly that has happened in the past but i but i think in general um you know we're really good at okay we're recording now and, and this is this is podcast eric and podcast richard and whatever's happening is is aside from from what I'll you know what whatever else is happening is is separate from what we're doing right now and you know I think you're right like to follow up on what Richard said sometimes there have been times when we're like okay we can't record today but there are other times where we're like like dude just get it together we need to do this you're you're being you're being a little ridiculous right now and and, and this goes both ways you know that Richard has said this to me and I've said this to Richard and most of the time, I can remember it's been just in relation to other shit that was happening, you know, not necessarily, like, you know. Yeah, not not specifically with us, but, like, with other stuff. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, so. yeah. Um, but to answer why we haven't killed each other yet, because um, I don't want to go to prison. I mean, like, honestly, I just have no interest in that whatsoever. It sounds really unpleasant. And I haven't killed him because I don't want to go to Delaware. <laughs> Shh! Don't tell people I live in Delaware. I, I have a <laughs> I know they might judge. Listen, I admitted I listen. I lived. I'm in New Jersey right now, so you know it's okay. Nothing is worse than New Jersey. I don't know. I I I'm not going to stay here for the rest of my life or anything. But I've been enjoying being back home for a little while. It's fine. I mean, I'm starting to get. I'm us. starting to get to a level where I'm I'm getting ready to go. But that has more to do with like I want my own place again than anything else. So <laughs> there's that too. All right, uh, I think it's your turn to ask a question, so yes, pick one. Yes, and I, I, I want to answer Mark Fallon's question. If you were to write a Trek novel, which crew would you write for? Because I, I think this is finally time for me. I have figured out my DS9 sequel series. Okay, I'm ready. Okay, so at the end of DS9, and by the way, nobody steal this because I'm really excited to write this, um... At the end of DS9, General Martok is the Klingon Chancellor with uh, Worf as the, um, you know, as his right hand. And, you know, obviously under Martok, you're going to have a very pro-Federation version of the Klingon Empire. And Worf will be his natural successor. He's very popular. He's very, you know, pious and all of that. And um, it, it will be assumed that Worf will 
get the eventually lead the empire into being a full federation member. So, of course, there is a faction of Klingons who hate this idea. Um, they, um, you know, and so there's a conspiracy against Worf to kill Worf. Um, meanwhile, Dax, um, so we're in Esri Dax still at this point. Dax has been, you know, thinking about her dealings with the Klingons and has decided that, you know, she's lived so close to the Klingons. Maybe it's the next time for the Dax host. Dax, maybe it's time for the Dax symbiont to get a Klingon host. So she has been working on her, um, you know, science and stuff and figuring out how to get the, get a Klingon host to accept this. Uh, there is an accident and the only Klingon around able to accept the, the Dax symbiont is Alexander. So we have Alexander Dax running around. Um, anyway, Worf gets killed by the conspiracy. But meanwhile, there is a quite an anyway, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there is also a group of Klingons who believe that Worf is actually the true uh, successor or incarnation of Kaelas. This is led by a monk who was initially a farmer's child and, you know, living a quiet life, getting visions of Worf and decided to become a monk. This is, of course, Worf's brother, who, if you remember, had had uh, Bashir, you know, essentially erase his mind and put a secondary personality on top of that the visions of Worf are of course visions of his own brother that he doesn't quite understand you know little residual bits of his brain and things going around so now you have a Klingon civil war between you know these sons of Kaelas and you have and the people who have uh killed Worf and this is what my Trek DS9 sequel series will be about so uh a I would just like to point out uh, to answer the question is Richard a Trekkie uh, I guess the answer is yes, because he's writing Star Trek <laughs> fanfic. Um, B, I would read that. I think that's really interesting. Um, and I think that uh, my answer to that question is probably the TNG crew, just because I like them a lot and they make me feel warm and fuzzy. <laughs> All right. I guess it's my turn to answer a question or ask a question. All right, let me pick a question here. I think I'm going to do this one. It's a little intense, but I think we can do it. Uh, This is from Penny Larson from Patreon. Thank you, Penny, for supporting us on Patreon, and thank you for writing a question. It seems from a lot of your comments that you guys really seem to favor character-focused stories over plot-heavy ones. Sorry you're limping through Discovery. Thank you, Penny. We appreciate that. I guess I was wondering if you could deep dive into that a little bit in a meta sort of way. What elements make a good story for you both? Are there some plot-heavy franchises that you do enjoy? Is a plot-heavy standalone episode more enjoyable than an episode that was part of an ongoing plot? Um, well, I don't necessarily think that there are many plot-heavy things that I enjoy. Uh, I think the 100 is a good example of that. I enjoyed that quite a bit, although I haven't watched the latest season, so that should tell you something about where my interests lie. Um, Breaking Bad as well, but I think that Breaking Bad, I like the characters a lot. Well, I actually wanted, would talk about Breaking Bad actually a little more in depth if you want to aside for a second. Yeah. Um, go ahead. Well, I think with Breaking Bad is the plot is coming from character, right? Like the, yes, it's a, you know, it, it was not as if it was a show where 
you know, they came up with, oh, this is what's going to happen in season one. This is season two. You know, these are where these things are going. It's essentially, you know, you have this character of Walt who is somebody who is, you know, very hubristic, who, you know, thinks he is a lot more of a criminal mastermind than he is. And things just kind of intensify from there. He makes this decision. Skylar reacts in this way. Jesse does this, that kind of a thing. And, you know, if it becomes a very, you know, I mean, for me, that's the kind of plots that I like are ones which stem from character conflicts. Yeah, I mean, if you, yeah, I think that's right. And I, I certainly think that Breaking Bad is very plot heavy in a, in a very real way, but it is, it is stemming from character in exactly that way that you said. And, you know, I think the 100 is probably a good example of, of the type of, of thing that, that people think about when they think of plot heavy. Like, certainly the characters are there and certainly there are some motivations coming from character but for the most part it is just a plot heavy show that is just very at a, bre- a breakneck pace i actually think that like game of thrones is probably a good example of that as well you know mm-hmm. i don't generally i don't I actually don't pay a lot of attention to game of thrones i i've watched all of it um i'm much more interested in like the plot and whether or not like daenerys targaryen is going to like you know win and take over the seven kingdoms than i am about like her interpersonal conflict about herself uh i don't actually know a lot of the characters in that show i don't remember their names i don't even really remember that they exist until they show up again and then i'm kind of like who's that i don't know who that is (laughs) uh what i'm saying is game of thrones is not a very good television show (laughs) but to step back i think that for me Character is more important than plot because I am a very, I, I maybe this comes as a surprise to people, maybe it doesn't, but, but I am a very romantic person and I am a very sensitive person. I cry very easily and I'm very emotional. And so, you know, and I, I've certainly struggled with that over the years. I think that, you know, a lot of times I wasn't very in tune with my emotions uh, as a lot of, um, you know, cis men or people that are socialized as cis men uh, are not, uh, but I am getting there. And, you know, so I think for me, a lot of what it comes down to is that um, character stuff is more interesting to me only because it really speaks to me on an emotional level and, and plot stuff doesn't, it doesn't engage my emotions as much. It engages sort of like the flight or fight response and it gets the adrenaline pumping and stuff like that. But I don't associate that with anything that I want to revisit and I don't really associate a show that is extremely plot heavy with anything that I'm going to get anything out of on a, you know, spiritual, metaphysical, you know, emotional, intellectual level. I think that's fair. I mean, it depends because, you know, like one of my favorite shows is, for example, Six Feet Under, and that is an extraordinary character show. That is just a bunch of people bouncing off against each other and having their conflicts. And, you know, back in the day when I, you know, studied literature in school, I was doing a lot of like Virginia Woolf, which is just pretty much here is a, you know, the action is a character sitting down and the text is, you know, 200 pages of their internal monologue and just all they're dealing with. But that sounds um, great. <laughs> it was fascinating at the time. Um, and I mean, I read a lot less these days and actually let's, you know, take in Holly's uh question of favorite novels and novelists like the stuff i read now is a little i guess more plot based like one of my favorite writers is uh gene wolf and you know while he does have a lot of characters a lot of his stuff is 
very plot heavy. It's um, you know, his his major gimmick is he does a lot of weird stuff with unreliable narrators, um, people who are kind of your your viewpoint character is on a journey that's kind of adjacent to the main plot, and you know doesn't really. Uh, you know, isn't capable of understanding a lot of this, doesn't get all the information, and you as the reader are intended to kind of piece together, you know, you, you have all these, you know, you have a jigsaw with like half the pieces missing and you're in, you're intended to figure out the full picture. And I do kind of like those very plot-heavy, you know, stories where, you know, again, you as the right reader are intended to figure that out. Um, you know, and I, I don't... I think interestingly enough, that's clarifying something for me too, because in a certain sense, I, I have a bias that I didn't know I had, which is that a lot of times I consider plot heavy stuff to be lesser than like it's, yeah. it's like um, genre fiction or something. You know, if I want to read something that I don't necessarily want to think about too much, it's it's like plot heavy sci-fi or something like that. Uh, because I don't need to keep track of character motivations as much. I don't need to keep track of who's fucking who. And I don't need to keep track of like whose daddy, you know, messed them up when they were children and all this kind of stuff. So I think that's interesting too. And I don't know, maybe one of these days I'll read one of these Gene Wolf books you keep talking about. You need about, to, you really do. I don't know. Um, I'm working my way through Hearts in Atlantis right now. So see the end. And now I, I, I'm the. I think I credit myself for getting Eric into Stephen King. Um, and I yeah, I love like Stephen. Like yeah, I'll go along with this. I mean, like I love Stephen King. Like Richard did get me into Stephen King. He sort of like told me what to read and what not to read to first get into him. And he's yeah, he he's, is tough he's to one start. of my favorite authors at this point. Honestly, but you know he is somebody who his books do have plots to them if it's you know something as complex as it which is dealing with you know the history of this town or you know just something that's a little more simple of a chase thing but all told through very strong grounded characters and i mean that's the thing that i love about him is that you have the you know they're just everyday people for the most part uh his characters and there is a sense of the mundane mixed with the supernatural, um, and even though the plot is external to the characters a lot of the time, uh, it is the character's reaction to that, you know? Yeah. For, you know, The Shining being a perfect example of this, you know, you have a haunted hotel, that's the external factor, but, you know, the way that this particular family with this particular pathology reacts to this and what happened that's the character coming from the plot yeah yeah i think that's a good summation of stephen king and that's probably why i like it so much because i think i like multifaceted works of art in general i mean two of my other favorite authors are are shirley jackson and uh, michael shaben which are are very different writers but I, i think they both do very similar things i mean shirley jackson is probably most famous for her short stories but you know, she writes a lot of these sort of like very short, very sort of like mysterious, you don't know where this is going, uh, sort of short stories that are, they're almost like punchlines, but they have a lot to do with, you know, the way people appear and, you know, keeping up appearances and, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. Whereas Michael Shaben's stuff is much more internal than that. And he tells these sort of like very elaborate stories about, you know, people's personal journeys, usually through the lens of genre fiction, but, uh, you know, that's that's another example of the type of fiction that I like. Yeah, um, I actually I see and I'm not I would not call myself a fan of Shabin, Um, and I've read very little Shirley Jackson. Um, you should read more. There's a great um, she has a lot of good short story collections out there. If you like short stories, maybe I, maybe I will. As uh, I've gotten right older, now, I also really enjoy a good short story. 
right now I'm reading through the um, Dying Earth novels by uh, Jack Vance, and it's interesting because there is, uh, you know, that's all setting um, the series. I do like stuff. I li- I, I like setting in a lot of ways, but um, there's it's basically one theme over and over. You have a you know you have characters who are you know barbaric carnotterist assholes who are just trying to outdo each other and. You know, as many permutations of that, but number one, the writing is gorgeous, the setting is really fascinating, and, you know, on a plot level, it each each kind of episode, you know, is very surprising, and as you say, punchlines in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, well, you picked a question, I think, even though it was sort of an answer to another question, so I will pick the next question. Uh, Holly McLaughlin, she's very popular, or McLaughlin, I, I never know how that's pronounced, Um she says, uh, "Are we? it wouldn't be us if we didn't have a politics question, so this is why I chose this question. Uh, are we past redemption as a nation? I sort of think we are, especially once we decided that we valued AR-15s over literal rooms of dead kindergartners, but I've been known to be dangerously over-pessimistic. Uh, well, <laughs> as a fellow uh, person who has been uh, criticized as being overly pessimistic by friends of mine, um, I'll take this as the I'll, I'll do that thing that people tell you to do when you're running for office I'll, I'll answer the question i want to answer and not exactly this question but i am uh, very pessimistic about the future of the united states i think that you know in general if you look at uh the ways in which one of our two major political parties vis-a-vis the republicans is essentially They've essentially uh, uh, given up all pretense of actually caring about making the lives of most of the the citizens of this country better. Uh, I I saw something about how they're doing their tax policy right now, uh, which was basically like, why are they acting like bank robbers stuffing as much money into bags as they can before the police show up? Which I think is a perfect summation of the modern day (laughs) GOP in general that we can ever get. Um, you know, they are they are craven and they are without any sort of, of moral stature or compunction whatsoever. And I think that they are very willing to use the, the, the basis parts of America that are at our core to, to really, you know, do what they want to do, which is to enrich, uh, uh, you know, rich people at the expense of everyone else. Uh, so, no, I don't think there's much hope for America, especially since we, you know, as a very small example of this, and I realize I'm ranting a little bit, but hey, it's my podcast, is that, you know, being in another country last week, I, I was very struck by the fact that America is a very weird country. You know, we don't have a adult and serious uh, government anymore, and we haven't for a long time. You know, in most other countries, they, they, they actually believe in the power of government and they sort of say, OK, well, you have elected us to do uh, certain things and we are going to do what we think is in the best interest of the country as a whole. And at every turn, uh, America doesn't do that. You know, we are we are a very strange and odd country. Um, we are one of the only Western industrialized countries in the world, probably the only one, actually, that, that doesn't have any sort of national health care system. Um, we have a tax policy that is very regressive and is illogical to the point of absurdity. And they're about to make it even worse, uh, by raising taxes on the poorest Americans to, uh, funnel large sums of cash to corporations. 
And to small things like the fact that we have never adopted the metric system. We are only one of two countries in the entire world that is not using the metric system. And this is not even a topic of discussion. Wait, what's the other one? It's like Liberia or something. <laughs> um, and not to say okay. anything bad about Liberia. I'm sure it's a wonderful place with, full of wonderful people, but it's you know not one of the world's great powers. So I say all this to say that that I just don't think that America on its face is a very serious country. And I don't think that we are very willing to face up to our problems and, you know, to be very blunt, I think that we are going to have a second civil war at some point. It's not going to look anything like the first civil war, of course, because that was in a very particular historical time and place and that time is gone. But I do think that, you know, America as we know it now is not going to be in existence in 50 to 100 years. Not not even, See, not even I, to mention climate change, which is going to massively accelerate the process, by the way. Well, yeah. Um, I'm not quite so pessimistic. And at the same time, I things cannot continue as they are, right? Like whatever they, they happens, no. something is there is going to be some kind of reckoning. I don't view the United States of America, 50 states, as the state that everything will be in forever. I think anybody who does will is naive. Every great civilization falls, and I think ours is falling, going to fall quicker than it could have been intended to. Um, and I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing. I... See, to me, a lot of it is going to hinge on the 2018 election. And, you know, if this is, in, you know, it's always darkest before the dawn. If this is, part of me thinks that, you know, maybe Trump is, you know, has opened up a lot of people's eyes. Maybe, a lo you know, a lot of people are waking up to shit that was obvious to, you know, many people for a long time, but this is, you know, the masks are coming off, right? There is no even no pretense in a lot of ways. You know, everybody, you know, more people are realizing, like, as you say, bank robbers stuffing, you know, money into, you know, people are realizing, like, this asshole, right? And I, it's getting harder and harder for, you know, I, I, I have found the Republicans to be soulless since Reagan, right? Like, uh, um, as I have said, which yeah, is, having, you know, having your some community be decimated by a plague will do that to you. Yeah, exactly. Like, I haven't gotten over the response to HIV. Sorry. Um, and, you know, the acceleration of the war on drugs. All of these things were awful, horrible. And the fact that they have canonized Reagan for the most part is, you know, just sickens me. And, you know, but... The fact is there are a lot of people who looked at Reagan and said, well, he was fine. He was good, you know, and there are a lot fewer people who can look at Trump and say, OK, he was fine. He was good. And, you know, the best case scenario that I hope for about this, you know, as much as I say, like, I would love for, you know, the Trumps to become America's Romanovs. But, you know, really the way that, you know, as much as that would satisfy the bloodlust in me. And I as I said, I'm a very angry person a lot of ways. Um the best hope that I have is for this disgusting president to be seen as so disgusting for people to realize it is beyond just this one man. It is this entire attitude. This, this there is an entire swath of people that he represents yeah. um, this far and no further. And 
you know, much as, yes, I think there are problems with the Democratic Party. I don't think they're the left. I don't think, you know, they are uh, in a lot of ways a bunch of, you know, rich centrists. You know, we, I that, mean, that's I mean in, in, you know, in a very real way, I mean, and I think that this is not widely understood outside of this country, that, that America doesn't have a, a left party. I mean, the, the Democrats are center right and the Republicans are out of the handmaid's tale. I mean, you know, this, this is a yeah. sick, sick, sick country. And I, I mean that in the sense of, ill i don't mean this in the sense of like it is a it is a bad place i mean that that's the that's the fundamental nature of this country is that um you know there are many people in this country that are fine and decent and i like individual americans on the whole you know but this country has never really grappled with the fact that it it has an original sin at its core of violent white supremacy and and you know it it just it has never ever, we have never dealt with this as a country and and we've gotten close sometimes or closer than we have at other points but they, you know the powers that be have always pulled it back and you know I think that if anything else um, the only thing that gives me any sort of hope honestly well there's two things I think number one the fact that that so many Democratic Socialists of America endorse candidates. Uh, one across the country, um, you know, last mm. month, I think is a, is a good sign. Uh, it's a small good sign, but, but, you know, and I think that a lot of leftists do underestimate uh, exactly how much work and how much time uh, yeah. it is going to be to, to, to undo a lot of this stuff. And I don't even know if it can be undone, frankly. I think that, that, you know, in my darkest hours, I think that America is done and should be done and, and California should secede and take Oregon and, and Washington with it. And then we'll just have another civil war and eventually something better will happen. But I also think that, that the one thing that does give me hope recently has been the, the Me Too movement. And, and I think that, you're really seeing a, a, a vast untapped reserve of pain and, and anger mm. at the ways in which women have been so mistreated mm. by, by our culture and by men in power uh, and, and by the patriarchy. And that, you know, I don't think this would be happening if Trump had not won the election. I think that yeah. women are saying, you know what? Fuck this. I, I don't want, you know, we have a fucking rapist in the white house and everybody knows he's a fucking rapist. And I, you know, I, I'm just going to take down every other man that I can. And you know what? I mean, I Good. think of it almost like, yeah, I think of it almost like Trump as the final boss and like, you know, Matt Lauer and Charlie Rose, you know, and, you know, and, and, you know, those are just the two that were this week that are in my head. Um, you know, everybody, you know, they're like Keeler. leveling up. Garrison, goddamn Keeler. I know. Um, you know, first of all, we start with Harvey Weinstein, who's a nobody in the grand scheme of things. And, you know, now, we're, you know, it's getting more and more. And eventually, I hope this takes down the president. But the thing that I have to remember is that progress is slow. Progress is not linear. But and progress is not guaranteed. You know, yeah, I think that, that we have that to Amer- keep fighting. You know, that's the we, you know, Trump gets Trump gets crippled out of the White House and you know he doesn't do anything for the rest of his term best case scenario the Republican Party is you know shown to be the evil joke that it is like that's a step that's not going to be the end of it again we can't say it's just Trump it's Pence it's everybody who has looked at Trump and smiled yeah. It is everybody who has accepted all of this passively and yeah there was you there know, was an article I was reading in the New Yorker today about um you know, how 
if the worst happens and if you know because we have all of these people senate republicans are saying that that trump is is unfit to be president that he's a danger to the country you know we have uh, something like 30 percent of of generals support you know only supporting trump and saying you know and i don't want to get into an argument about whether or not military support of the president is good or not i mean this is a definitely a problem and i don't really want to have that conversation right now but i'm just using this as a point of argument yeah that there are many serious people in the intelligence and 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 uh, legislative communities that that know that Trump is unfit for office and that he is a danger to the country, and they they basically put forward the hypothetical question of, you know, what if the worst happens, and what if we do have a nuclear exchange with North Korea or something equally as horrible and terrible? Mm-hmm. Uh, and future historians are going to be looking at Trump's tweets and saying, "You had all the information. Why didn't you do anything about this? This is your fault." And it yeah. is. It is their fault. And I think that, you know, what you said about progress, you know, that I, I always go back to that. Uh, I think it's MLK Jr., right? That the moral arc of the universe is long, but it bends towards justice. And, you know, MLK Jr. was a fine man, but but I've always found that to be very, very facile and very American in its naivete. Yeah. Because the moral arc of the universe does not bend towards justice. We have to make it bend towards justice you know any progress that we have made as a as a society over the years is due to the work of individual people joining together in a collective solidarity not to get too socialist about it but this is what needs to happen and i i'm glad that people are waking up to it i'm glad that the me too movement is happening i'm glad that people were going out in the streets and protesting earlier this year i'm glad that people massively went out to vote this year but i i just hope that people don't get tired and uh uh, you know frankly you know anesthetized by the internet and movies and television and all kinds of stuff over and over again and i hope that people don't get burned out because this is going to be a very very long journey well if net neutrality gets uh shot down then you know we won't be anesthetized by the internet anymore true but um to bring things back to our topic of star trek i mean what is the history of the federation as far as the as far as ds9 is concerned is that earth had massive massive inequality there was these sanctuaries where you know the massively poor were kept you know that is about as you know kind of what we have now and you know all this horror all this inequality all of this violence all of this and Eventually, you know, the Bell Riots were the event which caused growing awareness of this and which caused society to say, you know, no more. Everybody kind of wants things to be better. But, you know, but, you know, prior to the Bell Riots in the Federation history, nobody really knows how to deal with it. No one knows how to and no one really has a face to it. And um, I really don't want a bell riot to happen. I don't want something so terrible to happen. But um, what I hope, you know, that is ultimately what causes the seeds of the Federation, which causes people to begin to work together and to actively go against, you know, to actively work towards the better society. We have the resources to build the better society. And. I mean, you ask if I'm a Trekkie or not. Well, I want the Federation to happen. That is what I want the world to be. And I guess I think there are people who want that kind of a just society. And 
I think people just don't know how. I think people are scared. I think people, you know, how how do I, Richard Goodness, fight Donald Trump? Somebody I am never going to meet. Somebody who I am an aunt mm-hmm. to. But um, you know, ultimately, I think we are figuring out how to work together. I mean, I. I it makes me so sad that the internet is a tool of divisions and anger and stuff. I mean, I had to get I, – I, I don't really tweet anymore because Twitter was just getting me so fucking angry. The only people – I what I ended up doing was unfollowing everybody except for Trek <laughs> About and tuning in and – you know, I'll occasionally respond to people like if they were, you know, they respond to Trek about or something like that. Um, but, you know, I, I just could not follow that way because what could have been used as a tool for a community and communication became just a tool of anger and rage and, yeah. you know, knee jerks. And I don't know. I go back to the let's talk about Stephen King again. He has that quote, you know, my generation could have had world peace. We settled for the home shopping network, right? The boomers sold out about as hard as anybody can sell out, right? They had all these ideals. They the the Civil Rights Act passed. They said we're done and then they became, you know, Donald Trump. Yeah. And who I mean, who is Donald Trump's base? Yeah. And you think about how much the boomers versus the millennials and everything the boomers criticize the millennials for doing, killing diamonds, killing chain restaurants, you know, all of that stuff. Like, yeah, we're going to kill diamonds. We're going to kill chain restaurants. We're going to kill all of that stuff. Hopefully yeah, we're going to we're going to kill. Some. Hopefully we're going to kill everything that you love. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, we're doing exactly that. And, you know, something we need to continue doing exactly that because I think that we're sick of such large monoliths. I think we're sick of the corporations. We're sick of, you know, gigantic shit like that. And I think we're trying to figure out how to build community. And the thing is we cannot succumb to those temptations, right? Like you look at boomers and you see almost like vampires in a way. Like, you know, they were once people, but they've become these horrible monstrosities, you know, we've got to stay pure. Yeah. I mean, I, I, the last thing I'll say, and, and then I'll let you pick a last question. Cause I think this is probably a pretty down note to go on. So, so pick a Star Trek question. Uh, but the last thing I'll say about this topic is that, you know, I, I really think that there's, there's two big shocks to the system that the Western world ever had. Um, and this is a gross oversimplification, but, but Hey, you listen to our podcast, you know, one is, is the American Civil War, and I think the other one is World War II, obviously. And, you know, in a certain sense, both of those were, were existential uh, shocks to their, their respective systems. You know, the, the American Civil War was a, a shock to the system of uh, uh, violent white supremacy that, that, was, that, is, that, is, that was and is and remains at the core of this country. And, you know, we got to a certain point with it and then we threw up our hands and said okay you know what whatever this is too hard we don't want to fix this and that's what the end of the reconstruction and the you know the the election of 1876 was and the on the other hand you had world war ii and you had the horrible evil of of the nazis and the holocaust and you know the european system was was completely decimated and and you know europe was completely decimated and they had to rebuild their institutions they had to rebuild their their cities you know ma- you know millions of people were killed and they did it you know they they i think europe is is in general dealt with its demons in a much more healthy and 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 uh 
is, you know, a much more healthy and whole way than America ever did. And I think that America is probably not going to survive. And I don't think that America deserves to survive. But if America is going to survive, it is going to have to deal with its demons completely and wholly as Europe did after World War II. Oh, yeah. Like the Cardassians have to get their re- 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 reckoning. Yeah, I think so. No, I mean, we, we certainly said that about God. I, you know, I, that's an episode that I want to listen to of us because we had no fucking clue, did we? No, we didn't. That was, yeah, no, we didn't. All right. Well, a happier note is Mark Fallon's question. Are you optimistic about the first openly gay character on Discovery? And, you know, having seen the first half of it, um, it's interesting because I actually... Samus is interesting. I didn't think that they were going to give him a kiss sequence, but they did. You know, they had him actually. And what I think I loved the most about this, and I forgot to say this during the episode... There is an episode where he acts as the romantic advisor for a straight woman, and yet he is not seen as, you know, the fairy accessory in a way. He is coming from that as a position of, yeah, I'm the only one on this who's been on a long-term relationship. I'm older than you. I know my shit a lot yeah. better than you. Like, he comes from not a he's, – he's not acting as the advisor because he's not allowed to have an actual romance. He's acting as the romantic advisor – because he's the only one on the ship with any authority on what a healthy relationship is. And they're making him actually gay, you know? He's not just a, you know, the, the he, he, you know, it, it's not just something they're saying about him, but, you know, he's, they're not actually, he's not living that life. He's not, you know, any of that. It's not even, you know, and... He's not gay because he wears tight pants and likes Broadway musicals. Yeah, although he probably does like Broadway musicals because, you know, he's played from by Mark from Rent. Um, you hear all of these people who saw, you know, Yahura and were just like, oh, I want to, you know, I want to be that, you know, black girls who, you know, watch the character and just like, oh, I can actually be something. You know, I'm someone who, you know, Whoopi Goldberg famously, you know, said, you know, saw that and was like, wow, you know, there's a character who looks like me and... I am glad that we finally have, you know, and it's not just, you know, yes, uh, Anthony Rapp is a blonde white dude, but, you know, Ricky Vasquez is not, is, is not, and, you know, there there is a gay man of color on yeah. the show. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I think that, you know, caveat, of course, is that this should have happened a long time ago and that it did not yes. is a shame. Um, and it's kind of ridiculous, frankly, that it took Star Trek so long to get here, but... Um, you know, I think that they're doing everything right with the character of Stamets and the character of Dr. Ricky Vasquez, whose name I refuse to learn um, <laughs> because Dr. Ricky Vasquez fills me with a gleeful joy, <laughs> frankly. Um, uh, he fills uh, Stamets with a gleeful joy, too. Woo! I'm sure he does. And then they swap. You know, and I, I think that's right. Like, it was really heartening to me to hear that the the people behind the casting of Star Trek Discovery wanted to give the part to Anthony Rapp because he had been an out gay actor since the beginning of his career. Yeah. You know, that kind of stuff I matters mean, and that kind of stuff is so important. And the, you know, whether or not you think Star Trek discovery is a good Star Trek show and all those things, leave that aside. I think that the people behind it definitely have their hearts in the right place. They are doing, they're walking the walk and talking the talk. And 
I like the character of Stamets a lot. He is a fully formed character who just so happens to be gay, but he is still allowed to be gay. And I think that's important. So I'm I'm good with the character, and I'm curious to see where he goes. And I just hope that they don't kill Ensign Rick, uh, Dr. Ricky Vasquez or, you know, Stamets, because then I'll take all this back. Yeah, and here's hoping that we can find room for trans characters and things oh, like absolutely. that. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, I think that there should be trans characters. I think that there should be, you know, non-binary characters. I think there should be asexual characters. It's infinite diversity and infinite combinations. And, uh, you know, I think... It, the show has... I mean, the show's done a very good job of having, you know, plenty of women just around, you know, as, as just people on the crew, you know, people of different races and Yeah, absolutely, and, and I think that we need more of that for sure. So I, I, I hope that we continue to get that. Of course, if you do like the show, you're not a real Star Trek fan, and you should watch The Orville. Well, we already talked about The Orville last month, so I guess we'll leave that one alone. All right, I think that's it. We answered a lot of questions. This went for a long time, but, uh, you know, I I just wanted to take an opportunity to to say that, you know, it's the holiday season, and we hope that you are having a good holiday season. Um, And, you know, we've been doing the podcast for over five years. We've been doing this this Patreon for, for two years now. And this is our 24th patron special that we have recorded. Oh, my God. Uh, and, and we just want to I, I really just want to take an opportunity to, like, sincerely thank each and every one of you yeah. so much because Trek about has become like it, it, it doesn't even become part of my life. Like in a certain way, it is my life. <laughs> I mean, it isn't. I have other things going on in my life. Don't worry. But it, it's really important to me. And I, I think that, you know, what we do is is I just enjoy it so much and you know, the, the fact that, that a certain number of you want to give us money every month for doing this is, is, is just, you know, I, I still can't believe it. And, and I'm just, I'm so, so grateful to everyone that listens to this and, 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 and even gives, but, but really listens. So, so I just want to thank you all very much. Yeah, I mean, when Eric said we're gonna ask, you know, we have we'll have people ask questions. I'm like, what are nobody's gonna ask a question? What would people ask? Like, they're just gonna and like we've been talking for an hour and and we've got plenty of questions that we didn't get to, so we're we're sorry. Maybe we'll do something with them. I don't know, but Uh, we tried to get one from everybody. But yeah, this has been crazy. Just and. It's lovely interacting with you kids on on Twitter or, you know, through emails or whatever. Just like, I don't know. It, it, this is my major creative outlet these days, and it's not what I expected. Yeah. You know, I again, five, oh my God, five years ago, I was, I, I guess I didn't quite think it all, you know, think about all the ramifications and, you know think it through to its conclusion of what this really means but um you know if if i if if i had known what i was really committing to i would have said no i figured this would be <laughs> something we I, I i have to be honest like if, if I, I i figured we'll just do this for a little bit and you know then whatever like you know and i expect I, I think if you go back and listen to especially like the TOS podcast, there, there's an element. I'm so scared. Yeah, there's to. an element of like, you know, you're just like waiting for me to go. All right. We don't need to do this anymore. And I never did. Ha! And, you know, a large part, a large part of our relationship has always been like dares, I think. And no, we, we do podcasts. Yeah. Like we're just, you know, and, and I think that um, I have to pat myself on the back as well as, as, as I'm saying, thank you to everybody uh, because yeah. we 
been releasing this show since September of 2012, and I have never missed a week. We have never missed a week, and I think that I will pat myself on the back for that, and I will also pat Richard on the back for that as well because Woo! you know there have been a lot of times when we've had to buckle down and do two episodes a week, and we've had to you know do all sorts of crazy things to stay on schedule, and uh, you know I'm sure we'll have to do it at some point in the future, Richard. We're getting real low on backlog just want to say that now <laughs> i know and I, I i'm gonna be moving in it sometime in january so we're gonna we'll, have to figure, we'll have to that, figure out. that out but uh you know i just want to thank you as well because you know you're, you you know i couldn't do this alone and this is really a commitment on your part as well and you've been there and you've you've you know never seriously complained about it and i think that we have done a really good job with this and and we work well together so I'm looking forward to not quite another five years of track about, although who knows what's happening with discovery, but, but again, you know, we have talked about it. Like when we finish enterprise and discover, like, are we really going to end this? Like it will be, all, I yes, we still have tuning in, but it will feel like a whole, like we have talked about, you know, what our post enterprise slash discovery plans are, you know, we, we haven't come up with anything, but like it will feel weird to have this. It will end. feel weird, yeah. It absolutely will. Oh hey, Hank. <laughs> Hank heard that we were ending the podcast and he got so upset. I'm just gonna leave that in because Hank has never been on the show before, so there you go. Hank is oh. on the show. All right, well I think we'll leave it there. We've been talking for a long time and it is, is past my dinner time and it's probably past Richard's dinner time as well. Yes, my folks want me to. My folks who are boomers want to take me to a chain restaurant, so that's happening. Oh, which one are you going to? <laughs> Does it matter? Yes, this is the special episode, so you need to tell everyone where you're going. Chili's, I believe. Oh, yeah, Ooh, I'm gonna have that. some baby back, baby back, baby back, baby back, baby back ribs. <laughs> All right, well, thank you again, everyone, very much for listening. Thank you for your support. And uh, we will be back in January with another patron special. And if you are listening to this uh, in the regular podcast feed towards the end of December, uh, you will not hear the next patron special. But you can hear the next patron special by going to patreon.com slash truckaboutshow and giving us $5 a month. That is it. It's like the price of one latte. You're never going to be able to afford to retire anyway. What are you saving your money for? Just give it to us. Thank you very much, and we'll talk to you soon. Have a good life.